welcome to the Biology Society of South Australia podcast, where we bring you stories and conversations about all things biology in our state. I'm your host, Kiri Marker. Today's guest is Mark Kulmatri. Mark is a Ramanjeri man of the Naranjeri Nation, an Indigenous group whose country, or Rui, spans the River Murray, the Coorong and the Lower Flurio Peninsula. He is the chairperson of the State Aboriginal Heritage Committee and is active in numerous other committees and action groups. Mark has founded his own business, which provides cultural tours and other services across Naranjeri country and is passionate about promoting and preserving the cultural heritage of all tribal groups. I first met Mark when he came along to one of the regular working bees held at the Fultree Project, a property undergoing ecological restoration down near Karakalinga on the Flurio Peninsula. I was immediately taken by Mark's passionate storytelling, the evocative way he would speak about ancient Naranjiri concepts of connection and custodianship to this land, and how he sees these concepts as being relevant to modern Australians. We've invited Mark to come onto the podcast and share a little bit of his vision with our listeners, and we're so excited he said yes. In this episode, we talk about Mark's business and the personal contribution he's made to strengthening the bond between people and the South Australian landscape, and about Naranjeri concepts and how they might relate to the conservationists of the future. That's you. So, without further ado, here's Mark. Hi, Mark, and thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. No problem. My pleasure. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. I suppose I grew up on a community called Rowkin, down on Lake Alexanderina. That's where I did my primary schooling. My high school, I went through to Meningi, and then I came into Adelaide and went to college to become a school teacher. But all the way along, I've done a full circle. So I was a school teacher, but now I've come back and I actually do educating in a different way. I do it through tourism. Through tourism. So um, this is kind of how we at the BSSA got to know you. Uh, those of us on the committee got to recently go on one of your tours down at Radalang Reserve, which was awesome. And there you kind of took us on a cultural tour and were explaining a few different concepts to us. What kind of things are you trying to teach people on these tours? I want to teach people about what it was like for our people living on country. I want to show them bush medicines, bush foods, a lifestyle of what it was like and answer any questions. It's about an experience so that people can get to see what the plants and medicines, the uses of it, but it's also about me, information coming back to me from the different groups of people who can share their knowledges with me as well. So it's a two-way learning. A two-way learning. I really like that. So your business, Kula Tinjeri, what's your mission? What are you It's about achieve? providing an authentic Aboriginal experience for, for people. It's about breaking down barriers it's about enabling the customer or people or just friends to ask any questions they like in a, in a very safe environment. It's about sharing of knowledges. It's about caring for the environment and just looking at sustainability. It's about the whole lot about how do we preserve what we have and relearn what we need to relearn and learn what we don't know. Lots of our people, what's happened is 
a lot of the information because ceremony is now not done in many areas, we have to relearn information. So sometimes it's, it's about the information is no longer there and no longer passed down traditionally. So what we do know, we have to relearn and have the even elders are relearning information. So they're learning from the work that anthropologists, for example, have done where they've documented information, you know, of our grandparents 1,500 years ago and we're learning some of that information again. So it's a whole learning and it's a relearning. What's, what's that experience like? It becomes emotional when you're hearing, like, for example, my mother passed on some almost 30 years ago and then all of a sudden you're hearing her voice and telling us things through tapes that the South Australian Museum may have, reading things that uncles and aunties have told people who have recorded all this information. It's about also learning information from people right back in the early 1900s and the late 1800s who are telling information about how they looked after the environment, what they did to look after country and share knowledge and look at sustainability of our people and sustainability of the environment. It sounds like what you're doing in your business and the tours you take people on, you're really continuing that tradition of sharing knowledge orally and making sure that that ancient knowledge gets brought into the future. That's really a great way of putting it because that's exactly what I do. My product is not just a normal tourism product whereby you might have a, an experience that it's a one-off and there may be an adrenaline rush or you may see things for one day or one hour during that session. The tourism I do is looking back over thousands upon thousands of years and then looking forward into whatever that timeline is going to be. So we're learning things. It's about showing information. And so it's a great way that you've put it. So I think what you're saying there really resonates with me because I got to go on one of those tours and I've been thinking about it so much in the days that followed and some of the concepts you introduced us to. And one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on the podcast is that a lot of our listeners are environmentalists, conservationists, they care about the environment and protecting it for the future. And some of the concepts you told us about, I think, really offer people a way of connecting to the country or understanding the history of the country in a deeper way, not just on that the level of the science. And One of the stories you told me about was uh, the story of Narundari, this, um, this ancient ancestor who helped to shape the landscapes. And I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, so our people believe that Narundari was the creator who created the River Murray when he was chasing the large Murray Cod, which we call the Pondy. And he followed Pondy down through that, that what was then a little stream. And then every time he tried to spear Pondy and Pondy moved, he created a bend in the river like a tail and bend, or he widened that creek. 
until he finally become in what is known as the lower lakes of Lake Alexanderina and Lake Albert. And there he was able to thrash around and create a larger area. And then from there, there's a whole story of the way that Narundari created everything. Created the birds, created the fish, created the landscapes. And so that we have what we have today. And in many places right along Narundari's journey, there are lots of, of sites that are still in the landform. And so we can still visit those land, those sites and get strength from them, knowing that our, it was our creator that made those things happen. And so that, and those stories that we have has that connection to it. So it is about our people looking after the environment. It's about understanding the environment because country will talk with you if you stop and listen and allow country to resonate within you, it'll be able to talk to you. Wow. To me, it's just so cool that you could walk through the Riverlands or along the Fluorite Peninsula and see sites and have an understanding of where that comes from, know the story where that comes from. And, yeah, that sense of connection you must get through that is amazing. It really is, is, really, it is, really is amazing because it gives that whole connection of who we are and where we're from. Now, those stories that are told, they are ongoing connection stories that once were told to our people to build upon knowledges. So, for example, like today, the children may go to kindergarten and on to the reception, year one, go to year five, on into middle school and so forth, the senior school. Now, those knowledges of our people are built upon layer upon layer so that over a period of time when we get into university, that we learn a different layer so that over our lifetime, we understand the whole environment. And one way that understanding occurs is through something that I told you all about called the Nyachi. And the Nyachi is a totem, is our word for totem. And every one of us has a Nyachi or a totem that we need to look after. And if we all look after that one or two Nyachis that we may have, in turn we look after the whole environment. So for example, if your Nyachi is a plant, or if your Nyachi is a bird or a fish, it's about making sure they have those basic needs so that they can survive, whether it be water, whether or not it be a food source, whether or not it is a shade or, or whatever it is. So it's about interacting with the environment to ensure that the Nyachi is well looked after. Now, how this grows is if everyone is a Nyachi, then the whole environment is looked after. And instead of looking at the whole as a complex issue, it becomes a very simplified version. And this version has been, although it's complex, it is very simple by looking after one species, or maybe two, that in turn, by working with each other, we look after the whole environment. And I remember being on the tour, there was somebody who mentioned about the bearded dragon, for example, and so that we found out that that could very well be his Nyachi. 
So by looking after the bearded dragon or by at least researching more about it and, and giving that information over about its habitat, how to look after it, he is doing his role in looking after the whole environment. So if we all look at one either species or a plant or a bird or a fish, so even if you don't have ceremony and you go through and find out what that nyachi may be for you, today sometimes that nyachi is already talking to you. So I want the listeners to think about what could that nyachi be? What is something that resonates within them? And then what are you going to be doing to look after that? And it could be as simple as maybe not even looking after these species, but it could be about researching. It could be about finding information. So that fact-finding is just as important as having a habitat that you're looking after. I love this concept of the Nyachi. And I think to our listeners who are conservationists and environmental scientists you know we get really bogged down and cynical and think god there's so many problems with the way the environment is managed where do I begin you know what can I do if you take this concept of the nyachi it kind of simplifies it and goes well you can't solve all the problems but hey you can connect deeply to one element of the landscape and you can just pick that one and look after it and if we all did that it's a really inspiring message that's how our people have done it for since the dawn of time, yeah. or at least tens of thousands of years. And I think that's why the environment and our people have that still strong connection to it. And so this is where it's important. And so I ask the listeners to do that very simple task of instead of getting bogged down, because obviously we need people to be bogged down, because if they're doing and they're, they're fighting for the survival of our people and looking after the environment, that is very important. But however, it's also important just to take a deep breath and say, what is it that, that really interests me? Is there a species? Is there a plant? Is there an animal? Is there a bird? Is there a fish that I'm really interested in? Is it a butterfly? <laughs> what is it? Is it the bee? What is it? Is the native bee maybe of your interest? And it might be that you have to look after the native bees to ensure that they are able to do their job of pollinating or giving honey or looking after and that being that role. It could be as simple as that. So it's about our, it's about our people, it's about everyone, the listeners, thinking very deeply about what is their nyachi and, and how are they going to look after just that one Yachi? Well, I think um, that'll definitely give our listeners something to think about. Thank you for sharing that. I also wanted to ask you a little bit about your visions for the future. I know in a lot of your tours you take school kids out and you share these concepts with them. And I guess I wanted to ask you what you think the next generation can do to strengthen the protection of... Aboriginal heritage in this state and also to, to protect the environment? What I tend to do is with the school groups is to run through that idea again, like I do with all tours, about a safe environment. So I tell them from a point of view, I start off of doing the welcome to country, but by the end of the tour, 
I, uh, I do a smoking ceremony all the time towards the end of it. And at that stage, or at the, right at the start, I say to them that this country now belongs to you as well. So it's about giving them and empowering them with the opportunity to, for the future. Because I do that because our people can't be there everywhere to look after it. And nor can the listeners be everywhere to look after the environment or to speak for the environment or speak for biology or sustainability. So what we need is these so-called foot soldiers so that these school students, the more we can do with them and the more we can just upon understanding so that they get a grip on what are the important things and what can they do. And it may be, again, looking at a simplified version of what they can possibly do to ensure that there is a future. And it always starts with that feeling of connection, right? And that feeling of... That's right. Custodianship, almost. That's it. And so I, I offer that opportunity. I hand out an olive branch to everyone on custodianship so that it belongs to them. I'm a very strong advocate on our cultural heritage as Indigenous peoples. However, that custodianship is, well, I believe, is wider. It is about all of everybody working together in unison for a common cause, and that's to ensure a better tomorrow. This message of shared custodianship is a very powerful one and an important one for us all to embrace, not only as an act of environmentalism, but even as an act of reconciliation. In this first part of our interview with Mark, we really focused on the narratives which he's trying to convey through his cultural tourism. Hopefully we've been able to give you guys a little taste of what a cultural tour with a Ramanjiri elder feels like. Now, in this second part of the interview, I was curious to dig a little deeper and find out more about some of Mark's political activism. This is stuff he might not necessarily bring up on one of his cultural tours on country, but it's a really big part of what he's all about, and the conversation from this point forward provides real food for thought about the way native title agreements are managed in Australia. My final question was kind of taking a step out of the environmental space and revegetation and restoration and all those things. Because when I was doing research on you, I saw that you'd formed an action group and written a piece for The Australian. And in that, you'd stated that tens of millions of dollars are given annually through mining uh, company payments under native title agreements to Aboriginal corporations. And you and your group were asking for a judicial review, like a financial audit, a royal commission into potential um, maladministration. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit to that. It's a hot potato right now, (laughs) as you can well imagine, because many people say it's working well, so why would you want to change it? Now, what the Premier has decided to do is he wouldn't give us a judicial review. We couldn't get a Royal Commission, but he started off with a parliamentary inquiry, which is better than nothing. So what he's done, and he's he's framed it in a positive way of looking at governance and accountability. And I think that's what we need to just bringing it back to looking after country. We need to make sure 
that these tens of millions of dollars that are coming out of whether it be mining or out of government coffers, it's about how can we restore country? So if mining is occurring and the land has been disturbed, sacred sites are being disturbed, what are they going to do to make a difference, to give back? So it's fine to take, 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 although I don't believe it is fine to take, 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 but if you look at it, it's fine to take, 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 but they must give, give back. And I think that's where we need to make sure that, you know, we've seen what happened at Duke and Gorge, whereby that sacred site was just blowing up. So what we need to make sure that that doesn't happen again, so that we make sure that the tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions of dollars that are there, are used wisely for the future. Unfortunately, what happens is a lot of the money is about instant gratification. Instead of looking, okay, what do we do? So if you go, if you go back to Forktree, for example, it's not about just doing a bit of work now and putting some plantings. It's about the purpose beyond that. And it's about how do we then have an environment that's long-term rather than looking at something of a short-term fix. So the money is obviously there for it. And sometimes money is not the answer. The answer is a change in mindset. And that's what we hope to highlight, that there are some huge problems, there are some huge gaps that are occurring. And then how are we going to address that right across from everything from health to welfare to mental health to drug and alcohol problems to everything you could possibly think of. How do we address those, those deficiencies to ensure that we have something that creates a probably a sustainable and something that's able to be maintained? Mm-hmm. So... I think possibly a few of our listeners won't be very familiar with the system that's in place at the moment. Can you describe that system, flawed as it is? One of the problems with the system is under a native title system. So our people, they use the apical ancestors of the people that were in a region, and then if you belong to those, one of those apical ancestors, then you have that uh, connection to a certain area. Now, coming with that is millions of dollars. And unfortunately, if a family has control, they see that as their money. Instead of being based on a community model, you know, when I grew up on Rakan, an Aboriginal community in Lake Alexandrina, everyone was equal. Everyone had food, Everyone shared, everyone cared for each other. Today, under the native title system, and it's not just my own community, it's everywhere. It's ingrained now about taking over the the bucket of money. And sometimes it's about ensuring that your family, everybody wants to look after their family. There's no doubt about it. I've got five children and two grandchildren. I want to do what I can to look after them, but the cost that is coming with giving someone or certain families millions upon millions of dollars, 
the cost is that it, it is the destruction of our people, the destruction of the way we look after the environment, about caring for country, about understanding country. So that causes the problems. Um, so money is the huge problem. On the outside, you may see is that a certain Aboriginal body got $10 million to do work. On the outside, it looks like, wow, we all need $10 million. But the inside workings of it, it doesn't go to the whole community and it doesn't go to looking after the environment to ensuring we have longevity. So you yourself and, and your action group are campaigning for this, for sort of an overhaul of the current system to try and make it make that money go to where it's needed. That's right. So we're, we actually are campaigning for a change. The fact that the Premier was given a parliamentary inquiry, now that concluded last Wednesday, the 31st of March, and then what will happen from there... We hope that the report says this is where the problems are with transparency, accountability, and this is what we intend to do as a government. Okay. So um, but we are watching very closely to ensure that the government does exactly that and doesn't cover it up. That they they and they know I'm watching. I <laughs> like I have many disputes with government departments, agencies, the Premier himself. <laughs> but they all know I you know the Premier for example knows I don't mean to get angry. I just voice my opinion. Like, no, this is wrong. This is what you should be doing. And it's not about me think I know solutions to everything. It's about pointing them in the right direction of how to find good quality sound advice instead of just trying to band-aid a solution. And so, yeah, I, I have many disputes with lots of government departments, <laughs> Department of Environment and Water, for example. I have had many, many, many disputes with them. More than one hot potato. Then. More than one hot potato. <laughs> but I just find people who wish to work with me. Well, uh, I can very much say that the BSSA belongs to that club of people <laughs> <laughs> who very much enjoy working with you, Mark. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. No problem. If anything I can do in the future, hopefully your listeners can look on my website, come along to a tour. You know, look at opportunities of how we can work together and, you know, just call on me if I can help because certainly if you can help me, I will be calling on the listeners as well. That concludes this episode of the BSSA podcast. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in learning more about Mark and his cultural tours of Naranjiri Rui, check out the description of this episode. We'll be posting links to his website. Thank you for supporting the BSSA podcast. Now, um... I wasn't really sure how to say goodbye to you guys or to end the podcast in a punchy way. Luckily, Mark had a good suggestion. Nakanya. Nakanya means see you later. Nakanya. 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 See you later.